Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Market View on Money FM 89.3. That's right. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and it's now time for Market View, where we take a look at how the Singapore stock market is likely to close for the day, the biggest movers, sectors, and companies to watch. But as always, a quick recap of how we started. Well, Singapore shares climbed at the open today after global equities ended higher overnight. In early trade, the STI was up 0.2% to 3,154 points after some 63 million securities changed hands and the broader market. The closing numbers are still firming up, but here's what I have on my screen. The STI is in the red now. It's down 0.42% and we're looking at 3,136 points. In terms of value turnover, that's 1.05 billion Sing dollars. Gainers trailed losers 264 versus 293. Top 5 movers by value we've got here DBS, UOB, Capital Land Invest, Singtel and OCBC. Heavily traded securities included Ctrim, Singtel and Capital Land Invest. Now, in terms of companies to watch, we do have Fraser's Centerpoint Trust. Uh, the committed occupancy of its retail portfolio was 99.9% for the first quarter ended December 31st. Now, elsewhere from Singapore's inflation number for 2023 to the Bank of Japan holding its monetary policy settings, more regional and international headlines are in focus and also on deck how India's stock market overtook Hong Kong for the first time. Now, lots to watch and let's break them down with uh, Jeremy Tan, CEO of Tiger Fund Management. Jeremy, welcome. Hi, thank you. Great to have you and Jeremy. Let's start with the Singapore stock market as usual. How has the STI fed so far today? Any surprises when it comes to the biggest movers, uh, say C-Trim or Cotlife? They're seeing developments, but for very different reasons. Uh, what stood out to you? Well, if you look at the STI index uh, today, it's actually down slightly by about 0.4%. Um, and this is actually on, in the contrary, uh, as you can see against the US S&P 500, that actually hit uh, fresh new highs. Uh, for two street session in a row with uh, tech stocks that is actually driving returns. And also today, uh, you can see that China also rebounded back uh, from 20-year lows levels uh, to surge by about 2.6% on HSI. I think overall uh, in Singapore, you can see that the financial counters, uh, especially the banks, are actually faring much more resiliently compared to the other stocks. Uh, I, I think that is mainly because that growth expectations globally are looking less pessimistic. And for the other sectors, I think we do see a lot of weakness coming from the consumer discretionary space, especially like Jardine Cycle and Carriage, and also the industrial space like C-Trim. So mm. some of these uh, more traditional uh, sectors are actually facing some pressures. And, uh, you, you know, there's a lot more uncertainty, especially revolving around, I think, the recent pressures uh, with the energy prices starting to slump on this uh, oversupply situation. So even, uh, say, Citrum that had uh, some good news today, uh, having obtained the 400 million revolving loan to actually concentrate more on uh, investing into environmentally sustainable projects, I think that actually didn't uh, help, to, uh, help, help to lift sentiment there. Right. And let's talk a bit about REITs today, uh, Jeremy. The committed occupancy for Fraser's Centerpoint Trust's retail portfolio at 99.9% for the first quarter ended December last year. Now, how far is this representative of what's going on for retail-focused SREITs? And what does that say about the attractiveness of SREITs as we enter 2024? 
Well, I think uh, overall, I would say that the market actually started the year with very aggressive rate cuts by the Fed and also other global central banks. And uh, but right now, I think the 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 basically the market is looking at more like three uh, rate cuts by the Fed uh, this year. So we do think that uh, in 2024, the overall interest rate environment, including Singapore, will start to normalize, and this uh, normalization of interest rate trends will start to reduce the financing costs for the REITs. And I think that the overall inflationary pressures are actually starting to come down. Operating costs for REITs will also not expand in the magnitude that we have seen in 2022 and 2023. So I think the fundamentals of uh, you know retail-focused REITs and also other REITs should start to show some resilience in terms of their uh, cost base. And uh, just now you have mentioned that, uh, you know, the Fraser Central uh, Center Point Trust, the portfolio uh, occupancy rates are extremely high. Uh, and we do think that the, uh, this current trend will also help to lift the overall rental reversion uh, numbers. So I think in the uh, in 2024, we do, we do see a positive uh, runway for REITs, especially mm-hmm. after last year's underperformance. Right. And uh, let's stay in Singapore, Jeremy. Singapore's headline inflation for 2023 was 4.8% year on year against MAS and MTI's forecast of around 5%. Any major surprises on this front and really what's the road ahead uh, when it comes to inflation and monetary policy? But we do think that the overall inflation trends globally are starting to come up, come down. And uh, this is a positive surprise uh, for the Singapore uh, inflation numbers that is coming in less than uh, the MAS and MTI's estimates. Uh, so we have seen that uh, coming down from 6.1% uh, headline inflation last year, and that is going to still be coming down. Although we do think that there is still certain components of inflation that looks uh, quite sticky, uh, especially in the services area and also the private transport cost numbers. Uh, I think uh, earlier this year with the GST rate hikes uh, by one percentage points to 9%, I think that will also put uh, Singapore inflation quite sticky uh, for the rest of the year. We do think that uh, for Singapore inflation this year, it's going to come in between the range of 2.5% to 3.5%. And given that the world is more looking at the soft landing scenario, we do think that there will not be any shock. Uh, negative supply, surprise in terms of inflation for Singapore. Right. If you're just tuning in, we're now in conversation with Jeremy Tan, CEO of Tiger Fund Management. Across the region, Jeremy, the Bank of Japan kept its monetary policy setting steady, adjusted its economic projections, but offered no clear hints as to the timing for a potential end to negative rates. How far is that within your expectations, given what happened to Japan at the start of the year, the earthquake included, and what is the near-term outlook then for the yen against major currencies? I think for dollar-yen, especially in the first half, I think it will still be uh, rising, which means that the yen is still in a devaluating mode, given that the uh, BOJ is still main- will likely still maintain the uh, easy monetary policy uh, in terms of the near-term negative interest rates and also controlling the U-curve uh, on the longer term uh, of the U-curve. So we do think that uh, the Bank of J- uh, Japan for the first half is unlikely to U-turn more like in the second half uh, before it will start to make that uh, reaction because it still want to ensure that the uh, inflation numbers uh, is still uh, perhaps more driven by uh, the more sustainable numbers in terms of wages rather than 
cost-driven uh, pressures. So it wants uh, wages to rise sustainably going forward. So I think that uh, maybe in the second half of the, of the year, when the Fed starts to cut interest rate, mm. especially in the middle of the year, the interest rate differential will start to narrow and perhaps the yen will start to gradually appreciate uh, in the second half. So we do think that going into the second half, uh, the dollar yen will start maybe coming down back to the uh, 140 level. And probably I think at this current juncture, it's probably good to start to long yen Right. Uh, at this juncture. Yeah. Um, let's take a look at what's happening elsewhere in the region. Uh, Jeremy, India's stock market has overtaken Hong Kong for the first time. Uh, that's according to data compiled by Bloomberg. We are looking at 4.33 trillion US dollars uh, in value of shares listed on Indian exchanges versus 4.29 trillion US dollars for Hong Kong as at yesterday's close. Now, any thoughts on the matter given reports of how Chinese policies they are seeking to mobilize about 2 trillion yuan to uh, buy shares onshore through the Hong Kong exchange link. Yes, I think, uh, you know, we are in really uh, a dichotomy in terms of these two markets, uh, in terms of India and also China. Uh, I, I think even though both are actually classified as developing countries, uh, but actually, if you look at India, uh, GDP per capita, uh, per capita is actually at only 2,600 versus China, which is about uh, 12,000. Uh, 12, so that you can see that, uh, that even though two developing countries, they are coming in with a very different set of uh, growth scenario. Uh, on one hand, uh, India GDP growth is continuing to uh, grow strongly by about 6.2% uh, versus China about 4.8% uh, this year. So we do think that uh, the India environment is still looking at a sustainable growth, whereas there is a lot of risk factors for China in terms of slowing growth momentum. And as a result, you see that the Chinese government are uh, actually stepping up the uh, uh, stock market rescue package. Last night, uh, I think Li Chiang has already come up with some of this uh, stock market res- rescue package, even though the market is quite uh, skeptical skeptical mm. with this plan. Uh, however, I think do think that uh, at this juncture right now, uh, the long-term investors could really benefit from, uh, you know, this multi-year low valuations of Chinese equities uh, at these current levels. So any positive surprise, uh, you know, in the market that we've seen are really uh, that that will really move the needle uh, in terms of that economic trajectory will really start to lift markets. Mm, I have about one and a half minutes to go and I really wanted to ask you this, uh, Jeremy. We saw that sell-off in China leading to a record 38 trillion US dollar gap with US stocks. Right, tough times for China, one might say. And uh, if we look at that support package being doled out, how far can it close that gap with the US though? Well, I think um, for China, yeah. I think it's in a, in a very uh, different uh, environment right now. I, I think that the uncertainty in terms of policy risk still stands. Uh, whereas for the U.S., you can see that a lot of the uh, market momentum is still building, especially uh, in the AI space, in terms of the technology space. We do think that the U.S. market returns will start to actually uh, broaden from technology uh, to other sectors of the markets, especially when we are actually coming into the year with a, uh, with a soft landing kind of environment that the Fed has engineered. So we do not think that there's going to be a recessionary, uh, there's going to be a very strong recessionary stationary risk as uh, predicted last year. And as a result, uh, we do think that the U.S. equity markets could still uh, deliver 
positive absolute returns. Mm. Whereas in China, we do think that we want to see more uh, from the government in terms of the monetary and fiscal policies, uh, you know, the res- rescue package that the market is right now very skeptical of to play through before we uh, can turn uh, even more uh, overweight in China. All right, uh, lots to watch for this year, I suppose. Thanks a lot, Jeremy. That was Jeremy Tan, CEO of Tiger Fund Management. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.